0: Have that fortitude to go forward. Try something different and conquer it. It's not outside the realm of finance to be creative and innovative. These are serious thoughts from today's guest mentor Naveen White. And together on this week's episode of Strength in the Numbers, we also deconstruct how finance people can become part of the business instead of being revenue prevention or the budget police, as some people have called us how we can move away from traditional budgeting to beyond budgeting, how transformation in finance can help impact the overall organization, as well as us being advocates for change, and three ways on how we can also be seen as an asset to the business. So look, there's a lot of great stuff in today's show. If you enjoyed the episode, please check out the timestamp show notes, the key quotes, resources, and ways to connect with Naveen, and more at sitnshow.com podcast. And look, if you feel that some of your friends or colleagues might benefit from some of the insights that are shared today, then please let them know they can subscribe on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And really appreciate you investing your time with us today. So without further ado, over to Naveen and the show. So Naveen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you inviting me to be here.
0: Hey, Naveen, it's our honor to have you on the show. And look, uh, I know we've spoken previously. I think you've got a fascinating story, some really great insights to share in finance, but for audience, they might want to learn a bit more about you. So would you mind maybe sharing your story and journey through accounting and finance with us?
1: Sure, would love to. So I spent about 20 years of my career managing the FPNA function for a publicly held telecom company that was headquartered here in Denver, Colorado, um, just south of the Denver metro area. And as part of that journey, um, I ran an FP&A team for about 10 years in a very traditional way doing Uh, budgets, the way we've always done them in corporate America, um, doing all the financial planning and all the things that come with that pretty much in a very traditional routine kind of way. And then about midway through my tenure at this company, um, some things happened, both from an external environment perspective as well as from um, an insightful CFO who really was struggling with some of the processes and how they were sort of impeding our business's ability to respond to the marketplace. We were in telecom, so very high tech, very fast moving, Mm -hmm. a lot of change had been happening. And so um, we embarked on a serious finance transformation that included everything from moving our organization to a much more um, nimble and agile budgeting process, in the sense of that we actually got rid of the budgets entirely and moved to rolling forecasts. And um, and as a collateral of uh, sort of event to that, really dismantling a lot of the very traditional processes that were there. I thought it was an incredibly career-building experience for me and for my team, and just overall showed that there are different ways you can deal with the the world of finance and accounting um, that are somewhat out of the norm but actually have significant advantage in terms of your ability to really become part of the business and become an asset to the business instead of revenue prevention or the budget police or some of these other things (laughs) that accounting and finance often end up being called because they're not integrated into the operational side of the business.
0: Wow, there's a look uh, there's so much in there, Naveen. I want to discuss further with you, but the first one, um, doing away with the traditional budget. I mean, that's like sacrilege in some finance circles. So how did you how did you go about that?
1: Well, it started with us having gone we, we had just as a telecom company, you know, lived the the highs of the dot-com boom and followed by the trough of the dot-com bust. <laughs> And so coming out of that, our management team um, was very much about reinvesting in the business and reinvesting in in our networks and our customers. And so we embarked on a budget process just like every other company does in 2003. started with me sending out that email, hey, it's July, we're going to start working our budget. We're on a fiscal calendar So it took us about six months to get through the entire process and very much a bottoms-up iterative process, you know, where they'd submit budgets, we add them up, they'd be like, oh, this is never going to work. Send them back, cut this, cut that. You know, it just, the, the traditional thing that you do, that iterative four, five, six, seven, ten 10 times back and forth trying to get this sorted out. Well, because our management team had put out this message that they really wanted to reinvest in the business, people took that sort of as a carte blanche and the budgets that were coming in were absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it was the Christmas list and then some. And so as we're going through the process, the meetings got to be really ugly, respectful. It, it, the whole thing just broke mm-hmm. down, which is very common with budgeting. It's a very uh, destructive process. It, doesn't, it breeds very bad behavior um, because people get very parochial. They start negotiating for their compensation. Um, it gets very personal. And, and so the whole process started to come apart on us. And so bad that our CFO, um came to me and said, I'm not going to any more of these meetings. Figured out, <laughs> put the book together. And we would produce this huge budget book for our board. It was probably about the size of like an old style phone book. So, you know, three inches deep of just tons of schedules and, and no, exorbitant detail that I'm pretty sure most people never even looked at. But we, we invested a whole bunch of our time in putting this thing together. And mm-hmm. so, um, finished the budget, put it out to the board. Our board meeting was always. The middle to end of January and the CFL came back from the board meeting and by the time that would happen I usually had about a week to load the budget into the jail system. So counting could start running variance against it And so I you know, he's coming back from the board meeting. I go into his office and knock on the door, Hey, so how'd it go? Is budget approved? He's like, yeah, budget's approved. I went like, great So I can let the team loose on loading it. And he's like, yeah And about the next breath he picks up this book and tosses it in the trash can. He's like this doesn't help me manage the business. It's, it's worthless. He's like, we know it's already wrong. And it's only been printed for like three weeks. He's like, I can't manage a business that's moving this quickly with something that's already stale, you know, before the ink dries on the paper. And so he goes, you've got to figure out a better way. And I'm just standing there rather flabbergasted like a, a better what? What are you talking about? But he had, I mean, that was all he said to me, He's like, find a better way. So I left and I hit Google because that's what you do when you don't know how to answer a question, right? And I said, what do you do when you don't do budgets? And out popped the Beyond Budgeting book that uh, Jeremy Hope and Robin Frazier had written and had been published the prior year. And I read that, and, and I'm like, because I had nothing else. to I mean, it was just my only resource at that point in time, right? And so I'm flipping through this, and I'm like, well, this might work, or, you know, eh, that's not so much in our industry. Because, I mean, it, it kind of proposes some some basic foundational principles around this thought of managing your business differently that they had garnered from really talking to companies who had done this already, and most notably um, Handels Bank, and which is a bank out of, um, you know, uh, Sweden, who had been doing this for like since like the 70s but they did it just because they're like we needed a different management model right and so I, I was reading some of these case studies and examples they gave and i'm looking at this and I'm like well some of this will probably work for us some of this is culturally just not a good fit for us and so from the book kind of pieced together like this is you know th- these are some ideas of things we could do differently and put that into a white paper and gave it back to the cfo and he noodled on it for a little bit, and we had some conversations. And he ultimately was like, "Okay, let's go to rolling forecast and let's get rid of this budget thing." And I'm like, "Okay, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I was up for a challenge."
0: Yeah, like look, a great challenge to have. But like, it was it really as simple as getting a book, um, and and getting agreement. Let's go with it, and that and that was it.
1: I can put this. That was when the light turned green that was far from having everything done (laughs) the other part of it is when, when you embark on a transformation like that you don't always know what you don't know and there was an awful lot of stuff i didn't know i didn't know that as we started to dismantle our budgeting process it was sort of like pulling on a thread on a sweater because you unravel all kinds of other processes as you go it impacts how you to handle rewards and compensation. It impacts how you target set. It impacts how you allocate your resources. It impacts the management style of people and what they're required to do. The implications are far-reaching, and I really didn't understand when I first started this what I was about to do, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, having the support of a of a strong leader behind me and him really saying we have to do something different because we're just not responsive enough. And that, you know, we're not big enough to compete with the other huge telecoms. And so we have to have a niche. And our niche, you know, our niche was always that we were more responsive and we provide better customer service. Well you can't do that if you're stuck in this paradigm where you can't move. I mean you don't ever want to have a salesperson sitting in front of a customer going, well, we can't do that because it's not in our budget. That's besides being just embarrassing, that's just such a wrong way to run a business. And so, and I'm not saying that necessarily happened, but it certainly could have. In, in most environments, people, you know, vendors hear those kinds of things, external parties hear that. That's internal laundry. You don't need to be airing that in front, you know, external parties. And so you're in this mode of constantly being hamstrung by this artificial construct that you put in place that, by the way, not only creates this perceived ceiling on your spending, but also creates a floor. Because we know one of the behaviors that drives is that people will spend every red cent of that budget because they know if they don't, the following year, they're not going to get that money back. And so it drives really, really bad behavior throughout the process, throughout the organization. And so the CFO that I was working for, he had the vision to kind of see where this was the problem. He really didn't have a solution. He just like, I know this isn't going to work for us long term. And so as we moved to a quarterly planning process that was really agile, really nimble, Um, really downscaled in the sense that we were only looking at a few line items. This wasn't, you know, your traditional take all your GL accounts and run the budget, you know, for Mm. twelve to you know, fifteen months out there um, at that extraordinary level of detail. We just frankly nobody can predict anyway. And for the most part, it's completely irrelevant. You know, we really focused in on the things we needed to understand about the business. And so We just started running a very routine quarterly process, really only having people project out what they could see. So we figured out our sales organization had about two quarters worth of visibility. So that's all we asked them to forecast. What's the point of going further than that when they don't really have any new insights we for getting out the calculator. From my perspective, it was a lot more scary for the sales people to have calculators than for my finance people to have calculators. So we just decided, you know, beyond those first two quarters, we're gonna add four more quarters, but do it from sort of a much more mathematical approach in terms of really truly understanding trend lines, from you know, doing some regression analysis, really understanding what drives the business beyond that, but understanding it's a mathematical projection. It's not based on, you know, feet on the street having sort of forward-looking information that we wouldn't necessarily have sitting in front finance. So it it, it worked beautifully. It took us a while to get there. I mean, this isn't like we turned the switch and everything worked beautifully the first time through. When you're doing this kind of transformation, you really have to talk to people a lot. There's a lot of training, a lot of hand holding, a lot of acknowledging that I don't know the answer to this question. I'll have to get back to you because you don't know everything you're going to break as part of something that significant. And it's going to be different, a different experience for anybody who goes down this path because it very much so is integrated with your culture. And so like we're an organization that culturally we're the kind, we'll jump off the cliff and when we hit the water, we'll figure out how to start <laughs> swimming as opposed to making every, you know, trying to make everything perfect. But that was probably better because I think it's one of those like the, you know, it's, it's like having to take that first dive from a three meter platform. When you first stand up there, you're like, I can do this. And then when you start looking at how far that is, no, like no. the longer you stand there, the more terrifying it becomes. So I think for us being able to kind of jump was the only way we were going to do this. Because if we had thought about this much longer, we probably said, nah, this is just, you know, this is crazy. But crazy worked. It, it really made us a much, much better company with a, a much more value add focused finance organization that really started to drive a different conversation and and we really moved from being that that revenue prevention to being business partners with our frontline.
0: Yeah, so so that you just preempted my next question then is so look um sounds like a real positive change all those things happening but painful as well things breaking along the way. So so like how did it impact uh, your organization your team like, what did it allow you to go and achieve by by taking this bold step?
1: Yeah. Well, as part of it, we also embedded um, about half the finance organization on the front line, simply because mm. we figured out that the, the issue wasn't so much the budget. The issue was any process that was just um, overly onerous in terms of getting things done. So it included mm. approval processes. It included all those different things, how we, how we paid people, how we looked at performance, all that stuff had to change. And so, By embedding my team on the front line, what we were able to do is really get them much closer to the source of the issues and really understand much better how the organization functioned as it met the customer. That's that's what happened in our markets. That's where sales and operations interacted with the customer on a daily basis. So by having my team a lot physic- like physically closer and operationally functionally closer to that, they were able to see some things firsthand. And so they became really significant advocates for the field back at corporate in terms of helping people understand what processes were breaking down or were just overly bureaucratic and then ha- coming up with solutions to help them. I mean, they paid mm-hmm. for themselves over and over again just in the cost savings they generated by fixing processes that were just too cumbersome. I mean, we used to, things like capital approvals get emailed around the company. And, you know, it wouldn't be all that shocking to see an email that had 25 people on it, everybody putting the get approved. Yes, I approve. And it's sort of like, Okay, but do we really need 25 people looking at you know a $25,000 purchase in a company that's you know worth billions? I mean that's ridiculous. And so really streamlining and and again this took time. This took us really researching. Okay, what do people really have to approve? What you know clears about 90% of the stuff off their desks? What level of risk are we willing to take versus delaying the process? In other words, if we're talking about buying a toolkit for a new technician that starts. Why can't the operations manager approve it? And we already agreed that we're going to hire a tech. It's not like we're not going to buy them tools. Why does it have to go any further than the guy's boss, right? And so really looking at what made logical sense, sort of letting good judgments and common sense prevail over onerous policies and and just like ridiculously extrapolated processes that made absolutely no sense in the context of being able to respond.
0: Yeah, yeah, like I'm I'm just getting a picture and a sense off you, Naveen. It's it's in a case where finance was well, probably in its ivory towers, you're now more operationally frontline supporting the business. You know, actually coming back to an earlier point you made, becoming an asset to the business. Some of our listeners are, are trying to go on that journey themselves. So would you have any advice on how to become perceived more like an asset or let's say become more integrated with, uh, with the business?
1: Yeah, there are several key things you have to do. I think first and foremost, finance has to really understand the business. I think we we often take this position of you know we're almost a little arrogantly like we're transportable. We can work in any, any industry. And, you know, that may very well be true, but the reality is you're not going to serve where you're working very well if you really don't understand the jargon, you don't understand you know, what you're looking at, and it's unfair. I mean, how is an analyst supposed to model a new product when they don't understand the terminology or how it even fits in? They can't really be asked to do that effectively if they don't have the knowledge and the depth of understanding to, to engage. So my team, we learned the business. We, we did site visits, we had experts from engineering and IT and very organizations come do lunch and learns with us to really help people you know learn about the products and the technology and what was happening um getting deep on this stuff and and really being able like you know you have an AP clerk processing an invoice. If they have no idea what the thingy is that got purchased, how do they have any idea if that invoice is right or wrong? They can't gut check it. It's completely unfair to the person. So by, by starting with that and really getting people that business acumen that they needed, first of all, it drove huge engagement on the team because they loved it. They absolutely loved being really? so much more versed in the business and being able to have a conversation with an ops person or a salesperson to really you know, understand what's happening. So that was significant. Then once they understood it, they were able to start innovating things because now that they knew what they were dealing with, they're like, well, that, that this makes absolutely no sense. You know, this, this is what we need to do instead. So as you as you start building that business acumen, you get more engagement, which gets you more innovation, which builds more acumen. And so it becomes the spiral of good that happens. So that's a really important thing. So you have to you, know, you have to kind of get that foundation in place. So that's that's a, a big thing. The more diverse your team, the more, um, and, and when I say diverse, in terms of everything you know everything from seasoned finance people to entry level finance people people with different backgrounds that that may finance maybe a second career um, the more diversity you can bring into your team the easier it'll be to get that acumen built and and to to really engage in that, at that level the other thing like i said before you kind of have to go with that 80 20 thing you cannot make everything perfect because you're going to learn so much by doing you really have to be willing to sort of put it into an, like, an experimental phase. So you can try some things and see where things are going to break down because you can't, if you plan it all on paper and pretend it's going to be perfect, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Things are not, that's not how it works. When you're transforming things, when you're doing this kind of change, you really kind of have to go at 80% and then know that you're going to be coming back and fixing some things sort of like a you know plan, do, check, act kind of loop because you, you, you're not going to learn everything in the lab. You have to actually take it into the business to really understand. Understand what's going on. So that's a really important thing. And I think probably my third key point is you have to have some fun doing this because this is hard. This is culturally impactful. I mean, you're, you're changing the culture of how the business thinks and functions. And this is This is really hard. And if you don't have some fun with it, if you don't laugh about it, you're going to cry about it because it is truly difficult and you're going to meet resistance. You're going to have to convince people. I have never spent so much time on my phone as during those first, you know, three or four months and we were starting to roll this out because you have to talk to people. You have to understand who your stakeholders are, like who are the people who are critical to your success and who are the people you need to keep informed so they don't become detractors. But there's a there's a diverse range of stakeholdering that has to happen. And so it's it's difficult and it's time consuming and you really have to stay on this thing every day and it's it's like watching a little baby grow and you have to just be there all the time because it requires that care, and nurturing and that communication and that hand holding and yes you're going to talk to the same person 14 times about the same thing because until they get it they're not going to come on the bus, no, right? And yeah. so yeah. And we in finance are really big on dictating at people. You know, it's like, you will do this because finance and so. That's not a way to do transformation. You, know, you will disconnect so many people so fast. It's not going to happen. So that, that nurturing, that, that is, it's very difficult. So that's what I'm saying. you have to have some fun with this because if you don't have fun with it, you're going to cry about it. And it's a lot more yeah. fun to engage people. or It's a lot easier to engage people when you're having fun than when it, does, when it looks like you're just in pain all the time.
0: Yeah, well, it comes it comes across in whether it's in person or over a phone. It comes across in tone. It comes across in a lot of ways. Um, I was only joking with someone the other day. I, I've been using had um, been using Messenger a lot, and I noticed there was an emoji for banging your head against a door, like that. That for me is like it's having a bit of fun at the situation. But sometimes the message you just got to keep trying to get the message across. You know, you'll figure out a way. Uh, And keep with it and and nurture it. So I I really, I thought that was fantastic advice, Naveen. Um, I I suppose in terms of what you're working on now, I mean, what's exciting you most about that work?
1: I think that I'm starting to see sort of this, this shift where I think more finance people are willing to take risk which in the past, mm. I think was just, I mean, there, there were a few here and there, obviously, other, we weren't the only company who ever got rid of their budget. And we certainly weren't the poster child for sort of the beyond budgeting movement. There are lots of other companies who have done this more so in Europe than in North America, but still there are some very innovative yeah. companies out there who've done some cool stuff and and their finance department is part of that for sure. But starting to see more of an interest in in finance professionals and and both on the finance and the accounting side wanting to start to engage in change and be willing to embrace some transformation. Um, That to me is exciting. Um, the fact that people come up to me and, and, and you know, reach out to, hey, I heard, you know, I heard this, I heard that. Can you give me some more information? Um, you know, tell me about your team. Your team sounded like a really cool place to work. Uh, you know, having those conversations with my peers is very exciting to me. And I'm, I'm thrilled that there's starting to be this little inkling of, of like a shift in how finance is being perceived in the world and that it doesn't have to be that terrible ivory tower back office function that just people always feel abused by. So,
0: Yeah, I'm delighted you call that out because that gives us all all encouragement, particularly for those coming up in their careers, because like that didn't really exist when we were starting out probably. So that's there now. There's more people willing to engage, share what works, what doesn't work. Take some of the pain out of it and actually adds probably more fun because the more engaged and connected you are, people, the more meaningful probably the work becomes. So that's a really exciting one. I completely agree with you, Naveen. That that sort of, um, it does feel like there's a shift that's gone on. And yes. hopefully hopefully, it continues and builds momentum because that can only serve us very well in our profession so um so look i I just want to say really appreciated all the advice you've been giving us and sharing with us um I mean in terms of yourself what what's been the best bit of advice you feel you've ever received
1: so <laughs> It's funny because I don't mean I've tried to find out who first said this, but I don't know. I, it was said to me by one of the the uh, leaders in our company, um, who was you know finally kind of willing to embrace what we were doing. And he said to me like, "Well, if nothing changes, nothing changes." And I know that sounds so like simple, but it's really very profound when you think about it. Like if you're not willing to change something, it's going to be status quo. And so, change is a good thing. You just have to approach it with some thoughtfulness. I strongly, strongly recommend anybody doing anything transformational to really learn about change management and ideally engage in some form of change management. I don't care what style it is or what kind it is. Most organizations, usually in the technology side, like on the IT side, have some type of a change management process that's already developed and embedded. And you need to use that. Again, like I said, finance often tends to be sort of dictating what to do. You really need to learn the soft skills about how you enroll people in an initiative and not just, you know, sort of tell them they have to, because you get a whole different kind of result when you when you engage on a change management level. And so from that perspective, that's a really, really important skill finance people don't usually have. But it's starting to get out there and it's starting to show up in various arenas. I mean there's obviously huge a shift starting to happen where a lot of the great principles of sort of it agile is starting to spill over into much more of a broader business context which is so exciting to me because that they have so many cool tools and just interesting approaches that are very people-centric and at the end of the day it, it's about the people right you're not going to run your business without your people and if you constantly irritate your people guess who's going to be walking out the door and you're going to try and struggle to find replacements and so you have to think about all those aspects and all those parameters. But so that if nothing changes, nothing changes is sort of my mantra in terms of if you want to see progress, if you want to see change, if you want to see transformation, if you want to do things better, you have to be willing to change something because if you just keep the status quo, nothing is going to happen.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I, I suppose then in terms of resources, perhaps you could recommend our audience, um, you know, what sort of books do you think would be worth them checking out?
1: Yeah. Well, so I mentioned the um, the Beyond Budgeting book. Actually, there's a rewrite that the, the original authors did a few years later oh. called The Leader's Dilemma, which has all the same information in it, but it's organized more um, in a more structured way that actually has how my brain functions. So I'm, be, I'm fairly analytical. And I think most finance people are. So they'll probably enjoy The Leader's Dilemma much more in terms of just you know, just the structure of it, because it's kind of broken down into the principles that, and there are six leadership principles and six sort of more process functional principles that come with this. And so the, it's just better reading because it's more it's more organized. The, um, there's also um, a book on forecasting that Steve Morlish and Steve Farrow, they're also from the Beyond Budgeting movement. And so if you want to really learn about quality forecasting, because almost everybody these days checks the box and yeah, we do forecasting. But the reality is most companies don't do it well. And if you don't do it well, you might as well not do it at all because it's just going to create another bad process with equally bad behavior in your organization. So that's a good book that I like. Um, BRT Bogsnes, who uh, runs the performance management organization for Stata, wrote um, Implementing Beyond Budgeting, which is a really good book again. And he, his, his is in a second edition. Came out a couple, three years ago. Um, That's a really great book if if you're seriously thinking about doing this in terms of just understanding some of the issues and some of the pitfalls And he gives great examples again of his own experience and other organizations interacted with. So those are some great books. Like I told you, I have like a plethora of books because every time I read, I read all the time, but every time I read something, it's just like, oh, this is so great. I have to write this down. <laughs> yeah. When I read, I'm the one with the highlighter and the post-it notes. I'm yeah. like, my books, they, they look really messy because I tend to get very engaged with them. But so there, there are just a ton of great books out there, but you know, those are starting points. But if you start you know, thinking about some of these concepts, there's a, there's a lot of depth you can get to in the library. <laughs>
0: oh god yeah yeah look definitely I, I i suppose look if um if any of our audience like wish to uh, continue the conversation further and like what's the best way to connect with you at
1: probably linkedin i'm on linkedin and not with some weird little acronym but with actually my name so they can find <laughs> me pretty easily so yeah absolutely i'd be happy to um connect with anybody on linkedin and talk to them about the, the experience and you know there's there are if you start googling me it's kind of funny because i used to never thought i would be a thing on google but there are there are some recordings out there now very um, talks i've given and some interactions i've had so that's kind of fun but yeah absolutely reach out to me on linkedin
0: hey look that's great and I, look i'll put those details in the show notes as well and look really appreciate you taking on a us on a journey from beyond budgeting you know your your um, trials and tribulations with with that but also the fun fun aspects of it how we can be more like an asset to the business as well and how to get closer to them and more integrated Fantastic advice there. And also about the, sh- the shift in movement in our profession. I think it's great you call that out too. Um, I suppose, you know, before we wrap up, would you have any maybe parting thoughts for our audience?
1: Um, I would say, you know, be brave. Don't be afraid of trying something. And I mean, try something, e- even if you can't convince yourself that doing this for your whole organization is um, something that you're going to get traction on. Why not try it in one area? You know, find a friendly leader in a business who's, who wants to change their functional area, their department and just see if you can make it work because you can still integrate some of these ideas, even if you can't completely get rid of your budget. I and mean, there's so many ways to improve the process, to make it more humane, to make it, you know, <laughs> make it more productive and, and, and really focusing on the things that are critical to the business on the line of the strategy. Just don't be afraid to try some things because that's how you learn and that's how you figure out what will work and what will culturally not fit and so you know just have that intestinal fortitude to go forth and conquer and try something different it's it's not outside of the realm of finance to be creative and to to innovate
0: yeah and and if you start small it's a very low risk of breaking the entire business you know and it and it just gets you familiar with some of the pushback and um, gets you more comfortable with with doing this on a larger scale um, and learning so so so, Naveen look great, great advice again for our audience and look Really appreciate you investing your time with us today and coming on the show.
1: I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was was fun talking with you.
0: So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs,